please, to the little book of Lamentation, right after Jeremiah. I cannot think of a sadder book in all of the world than uh, this little letter. What a sad, sad story it is. Lamentations, chapter number 3. Everybody there? Verse 39. I heard some laughter over there, so I'll wait a little while. <laughs> I, I know what that means. I, yeah. Boy, I remember back when I first got saved. I didn't know Job from Job and Psalms from Palms. I didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament or nothing. And I got saved, and uh, my first Bible was an old Schofield uh, Bible, hardback. But I, the preacher get up and say, "Turn, you know, somewhere." And I had to, I had to look at somebody else or get help. I had no idea where I was, so I can understand that. Uh, Lamentation chapter 3, verse 39. Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Whenever I uh, read the first part of verse 39... In the light of the first chapter and what is written after this, my first thought was that Jeremiah and his people had plenty to complain about. That was just your first thought when you're not familiar with the story because when you go back to the beginning and you see how that God's wrath had fallen upon the people in verse 3 said that, Judah's gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. Then you turn to chapter number 4. And I want you to listen carefully to this because it is absolutely the worst description of a people that I've ever heard about. Verse 4 of chapter 4. The tongue of the suckling child cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. Verse 6, For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment, and no hand stayed on her. Verse 8, Their visage is blacker than a cold, and they are not known in the streets. That is, you can't recognize them. Their skin cleaveth to their bones, and it is withered, it is become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken, though for want of fruits of the field. And get this, the hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. It was so bad that they had resorted to cannibalism, the women actually literally eating the flesh of their own children. That's the condition that the nation is in at that time. When you go back to the first part of chapter 3, 
Here Jeremiah is speaking on more of a personal note. And he says in verse 1, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me as he turned, he turneth his hand against me all of the day. Verse 5, he hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. Verse 6, and he hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. And when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Verse 10, he was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces and hath made me desolate. Verse 14, I was a derision to all of my people and their song all of the day. Verse 18, and I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. So going back to where I started, wherefore does the living man complain? That's just about as bad as it can get. I know a lot of people going through serious problems, but I don't know anyone that is facing problems such as what we see here in this book. And Jeremiah, the man of God, trying his best to reach the people with the truth, was hated and despised as a result of it. It seemed to him as though that God had even turned his back on Jeremiah. And at one point he said, I quit, I give up, I'll speak no more, I'll mention no more his name. I'm resigning, I'm out of here. But he said his word was in like a fire in my bones and I couldn't quit. We preachers know exactly or to some extent what he was feeling at that moment so I I think to myself it seems surely that they had good reason to complain but when I read the second part verse 39 I have to conclude that really we never have a right to complain notice wherefore did the living man complain a man notice for the punishment of his of his sins and being sinners, we are undeserving of anything, but the problem is we so very seldom ever think about our sinfulness. And when we leave, when we leave sin out of the picture, we always find something to complain about. You know, there's a scratch on the car, there's too much traffic, the fish aren't biting, uh, my team's not winning. There's always something to complain about. I've never met anyone that uh, doesn't complain, me included. That's all of us. But that doesn't mean we have the right. Complaining is a reality. If there's anything common to man other than death and taxes, it would have to be complaining. We all do it and some more than others. Like someone said, we're born crying, we live complaining and die disappointed. That's about the way it is. I, I read about one fellow and he had inherited a large sum of money and uh, 
had done nothing to earn it, of course. He just inherited it. His folks had left it to him, and so he's all of a sudden got all of this money, and he was known throughout the community as a constant complainer. Nothing was ever right. It, it was the weather, it was this, it was that, or whatever, and so he, he, he got the inheritance, and he was constantly complaining to his wife, well, I just thought it would be more than that. You know, I was really hoping it'd be more than I thought it would be. I don't know why it wasn't. Day in, day out, and so he decided to buy to buy a ranch, and so he he bought a ranch. And you know, wanting to be a big shot, he wanted to have some kind of a name for it, and you know, put up one of those like they do here in Texas. Put up a nice big gate out there with a name on it, and so. Uh, he kept telling and asking his wife, you got any ideas for what we could name it? And she said, how about Belly Acres? <laughs> that, you know, that, that's pretty fitting for him. And you know, that might be true of all of us. And Israel is a good example of this bad habit. Uh, especially if you read over in First uh, Corinthians in chapter number 10 where he where he uses Israel as an example for all of us, and their murmuring and their complaining in the wilderness. Now, you would think here is a people that has been delivered from Egyptian bondage. They've been delivered from servitude. They've been delivered from suffering. And now, finally, they're out, and they're not only out, but they're going to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the Lord said, when you get there, you're going to inherit houses that you didn't even have to build. There will be vineyards, you know, the things that you didn't even have to plant. It's all going to be there because I'm going to take it away from the heathen that have despised me, and I'm going to give it to you. Now, you would think with that in mind that they wouldn't have anything to gripe about. But that's not the way it was. You know the story. They murmured and complained over and over and over again throughout their journey. And as a result of that, they brought judgment upon themselves and what should have taken them a matter of months, not more than a year and a half, ended up taking them 40 years of wandering there in the wilderness because of their murmuring and their complaining. Now... A lot of folks today who have good reason to rejoice are constantly complaining about something. And please understand what I'm saying. My goal today is not to just get on your case, not just to rebuke you, not to embarrass you. As I said, we all murmur and complain. We shouldn't do it. But we've got to be real. Murmuring, complaining is a reality. It, it, it happens, and we know that it does. And uh, my purpose is to help you, help us be happier or as happy as we can in our journey through this life. It's possible. It, it really is. There's no reason in the world that we have to make ourselves so miserable. And, and that's exactly what we do 
Because whenever we get in this complain mode, all of a sudden, you know, it becomes ingrained in us like a habit, and we do it when we're not even thinking about it. Kind of like the story I've told before about up in Missouri, the old hound dog just fell and pulled in, and there's all kinds of little country stores, and he pulled in there to go in and get something, and the old hound dog laying over there, and it was just a howling up a storm, and the fellow went in there and said, what in the world is wrong with that hound dog out there? He said, oh, he's sitting on a cockle burr. And the man said, well, why didn't he get off of it? And he said, because he'd rather howl. And that's, a, that's the way it is with us a lot of times, you know. We're sitting on a cockle burr. We don't have to be there. But we, this matter of complaining has become so habitual that we do it without even thinking about it. So hopefully, hopefully we can break that bad pattern in our lives. So it's a reality, but... But to see the seriousness of it, we need to think about the results of it. The results of our complaining. And notice I said results, plural, not singular. I didn't say the result of it. I said results because of the fact that it does more than just affect us personally. Certainly it harms us because the more we complain, the more unhappy we get. Complaining is unreasonable, right? I mean, he said, "Why, why does why does a man complain?" Uh, he's talking about somebody that that is being chastened of the Lord, corrected by the Lord as a result of their own sin. So, what have we got to complain about if we did something to so offend God that we brought the suffering upon ourselves? How can we complain about that when we did it to ourselves? So it's unreasonable, it's, it's useless, doesn't change anything, not for the good. It's actually profane on our part, it's harmful to us because it makes us bitter instead of better. So it harms us, but beyond that it harms others. If we knew how our complaining uh, affects other people. You know, it's so strange. I can think of someone whose name I won't mention that I hate to ride with. I really do because I've got to confess because this guy reminds me of me. And Bev had to remind me this morning on the way over here, in fact, to be patient, you know. I want the, like, you know, the part of the Red Sea, I, I want the traffic to get out of my way. I, I'm in a hurry. I, I don't have to be there at a certain time, but I'm in a hurry for some weird reason. And, and sometimes I forget that it, it, I, I guess I'm, you know, guilty of making her miserable, just like this dear friend of mine whose name I won't mention, uh, kind of makes me miserable when I have to ride with him. Well, all of you is going to be wondering. I, I, yeah, I, I see some of you guessing too. All right. I see one fellow that's right. He knows who I'm talking about. So it harms us. It hinders others. But folks, this is the real thing about it: is the fact that it hurts God. If the Bible tells us that we're to do all things without murmuring and complaining, and by the way, it does in Philippians chapter 2. If the Bible tells us that, and we go ahead and do it anyway, then it would grieve the heart of God. Is that not right? 
it would grieve God's heart. It hurts God when God sees us complain when we when in reality we don't have the right to complain about those particular issues. Now the question is, since since God is grieved, does that matter to you? Now think a little bit about it. Does it does it really matter to you? You know, I, I've I've known some people that, that, and I've made the statement. I don't care whether they're mad or not, and I don't. It's not going to rain on my parade. It's not going to change my plans. It's not going to ruin my day. If they want to get mad, let them get mad. But boy, I tell you, I, there are certain people I, I I don't I don't like for my wife or my children to be mad at me. That bothers me. It really does. But boy, if I know that God is hurt as a result of me disobeying Him, that's even a more serious matter, folks. Our complaining grieves the heart of God. What's behind all this? What, What is the reason for it? What causes it? Why do we do that? Now, I know, you know, the... The first thought we have is, well, yeah, good night. There's so much in the world that's bad. We need to complain about it. Really? Is that going to make it any better? It really doesn't. I I, I get so tired of politics sometimes. I know the condition of our nation is in a mess. It really is. But I am limited in what I can do about it. I can pray about it. I can vote. I can give proper instruction to other people as to the path that we ought to take. But it just does not help me or anybody else for me to just get all bent out of shape because because of the politicians. I remember in a... I won't mention the city. Some of you might know the preacher, but in a big city... Many years ago, I went to preach a revival meeting. This was a, somebody I really was a dear friend of mine, and I was looking forward to it. And I'm telling you, all week from the get-go until the last amen and I left town, all I heard every day, whether we were eating or whatever we were doing, everything had to do with, oh, this rotten world, I just don't know what's going to happen. And it's on and on and on. Boy, by the time that revival meeting was over, I needed to go somewhere for revival. I was beat down, beat up. I never been so depressed in my life, and especially by a preacher. I, I'm just saying that, yes, the world is horrible. Yes, things go wrong. And, and, and we've all got our personal problems and what have you, but we're not going to improve the situation by complaining about it. Now... Here's the thing. Complaining is a what you might describe as a surface symptom of a deeper problem. We look at the complaining, for example, and we say, well, that's the problem. Their problem is all they want to do is just complain. Well, that's, that's not the real problem. That's just the surface symptom of the issue. We complain because, number one, we complain because we are deceived. You say, what do you mean? 
I mean, we're deceived in that we convince ourselves that we deserve better. We deserve more. We deserve bigger. We deserve better. We think that if we didn't think that, we wouldn't complain about anything. If we thought everything's just like it ought to be, I don't deserve any more than what I've got, then I'm content. I don't have anything to complain about. We complain because we seldom ever think about our actual sinfulness. The old English preacher J.C. Philpott wrote many years ago, he said, I believe there are thousands of professors who have never known in the whole course of their religious profession what it is to have examined and tested their ways. And he goes on to say to be put in the balances and weighed in the scales of divine justice. Look, that's what our text is talking about here. That's exactly what he's telling us that we need to do. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. So he's indicating here that there's obviously a problem. If we search and try our ways it's certain that we're going to discover that we need to turn again to the Lord. Notice he didn't say, and if you find something wrong, you can turn to the Lord. He is just assuming, and rightly so, that we're going to find something wrong. So we're to search, we're to try our ways. We are to examine ourselves. And I've got to tell you, that's not the favorite pastime for most of us. We just don't like to do that. And really we don't like to do it because deep down in our heart we we already pretty well know what we're going to find, don't we? We really do. We know that things are just, you know, not right in our heart. We've had a covetous spirit and we're entertaining bitterness and resentment in our heart. We just know that there's something that's just not quite right. So when we talk about complaining and the reason for it and it being a surface symptom of a deeper problem which is that we have been deceived and and it leads to unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. The Bible says man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, right? I mean, so that's the way it's going to be. Isn't that right? That's what we've got to expect. But I don't know about you, but so many times in my life, I I find myself expecting it to be better than that. I really do. I've said too many times, I've said, boy, I I just wish, you know, the Lord would decide, okay, I'm going to give you one pain-free day a week, all right? Set aside, let's say, Fridays. No. If Sunday would be better, just one day, okay, no, no headache, no, no arthritis, no, no nothing, just no pain at all, no problems that day. That's your day, but we don't have a promise like that. None of us do. So we we build our hopes upon unrealistic expectations whenever we suppose in our mind that this isn't going to happen to me. It's like the. Brother Dennis Maxey and I was sitting in the office, and I was telling Jeff this yesterday. Yesterday, by the way, was his birthday, and and uh, Brother Dennis said to me, he said, uh, with a smile on his face, talking about having cancer, 
And he said, we might as well face it. If we live long enough, he said, it's going to get all of us, either cancer, heart disease. One, it's, it's going to get all of us. It's just, a, it's just a matter of time. And he was exactly right. It's just a matter of time till something gets all of us because that's just the way life is. It's a point where the man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. That's the way it is, and nothing we do is going to change that. And so the point that he's making is why should a living man complain? Notice, a man for the punishment of his sins. I'm glad whenever I trusted Christ as my Savior, he forgave me of all of my sins. And I so wish that I could have lived a life that was sinless from that point on. I, but I have sinned enough times since that time that God would have been perfectly justified in killing me any second. And I got news for you. There's not a week goes by, but what every one of us sins in some way to such an extent before God that he would be justified in taking us home right now. Not giving us another week, month, or not giving us another year, but taking us home right now. If Look, if that's what I deserve, and it is, I don't deserve to spend another moment on the face of this. I don't deserve to, to see my grandchildren, my children, or my wife. I don't deserve any of those blessings. So I don't have any right to complain whenever I, when the day comes that I get something that I do deserve. It's like the the old saying, the person that deserves a hanging shouldn't be complaining about a beating. We all deserve hell, right? That's what we deserve. So anything less than that is more than what we actually deserve, folks. Thank God. Thank God there, there is a remedy. Look at verse 40. Thank God he didn't just leave us hanging here, but he gave us a... A remedy, let us search and try our ways, notice, and turn again to the Lord. The remedy is to consider what we deserve, and I think it helps to consider the suffering of others. It really, I, look, I, I can think of 40, 11 different things to complain about related to me personally. But I have got it so much better than a lot of other people. There's some people that woke up this morning not knowing what they were going to eat today. They don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. There are people that have lost their loved ones that are going through great suffering. And I've got it so much better than them. I need to think about that because I'm no better than they are. But I've got it a lot better than they do. So when I'm tempted to complain about my lot in life, I need to think about those that have it worse than I do. And I also need to remember God's purpose in afflicting us. God's, he, he doesn't just do it arbitrarily like God woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he had a bad day and so I just feel like punishing somebody. No, no. 
God always has a purpose. There's nothing that happens in our life by accident. It's all divine design. That's the way that God is working in our life. And it's like the refiner's fire. When he puts us in the fires of affliction, thank God he has his eye on the thermometer and he is adjusting the entire process as we're going through it. We're not put in the furnace of affliction and forgotten about. God is right there working in our lives, not to destroy us, but to bring out the best in us. And we need to remember what God's doing. doesn't always take away all of the pain from it, but it helps us endure it. And we need to pray. Look at, look at verse number 41 now. I want you to notice this is Jeremiah. One minute, one minute Jeremiah has been saying that God has forgotten about me. He's like a bear, like a lion. He's destroying me. Now, verse 41, he says, Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Let me go ahead and read some other verses here. Notice verse 55, what he says. He says, I called upon thy name, O Lord. Now listen, just a few moments ago from the things that I read, you might have thought he was done with God. The Lord's treating him like an enemy, that God's being unfair, that God has forgotten about him. But now he come to his senses. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou saidest, now get this, this is what God said to him. Fear not. Fear not. Boy, I'm telling you what, I can think of some things that without God's help that scares me to death. Things I don't want to face, things I don't want to think about, I refuse to talk about. And here's God saying, fear not. And he says, O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. Boy, listen, when you're up against it and you feel like complaining, Pray for the strength that you need and be thankful for the grace that you have. Look at verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him the Lord is good. Wow. Be thankful for the grace of God because God's grace gives us what we need instead of what we deserve. The psalmist said in Psalms 103, he says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't it great that God has not dealt with us according to our sins? 
Thank God those that know the Lord is their Savior, all of your sins, they're under the blood. They're hid behind God's back where He'll remember them no more, separated as far as the east is from the west and cast into the depths of the sea. They're gone. God's not dealt with us according to our sins. I said earlier, I've never met anyone that that doesn't complain sometime. That, look, that is a part of us, a bad part of us. Even though you're saved, it is the it's the vestiges of that, that is the leftovers of your old sinful nature. You have a new nature as a Christian, but you're still troubled by by the flesh, as Paul called called it. And you will be till the day that you die. The good news is, thankfully, we Christians can learn to be content like Paul did, but most of us don't. But we all have the potential. If you're a Christian, you, just like Paul, have the, con- the potential to learn how to be content. It could happen. It did with him. If it did with him, it could with you. You could learn to be content in this world. The potential is there. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, listen carefully and I'm going to be through. But don't miss what I'm about to say. If you're unsaved, you will absolutely never be content. Never, never, ever. Because nothing you ever do, nothing you ever gain will ever be enough to satisfy your soul. And it'll never be enough. Ask those that have attained great fortune and fame and everything the world holds dear. Boy, if Hired Hughes, Elvis Presley, Janis Joplin, and on the list goes on and on. Of people that seemingly had it all and enjoyed nothing. They were miserable. And the reason that's so is because God designed man, as some have said, with a God-shaped vacuum in his heart that only God can fill. He designed us in such a way that satisfaction can be found only in a relationship with him. Solomon tried. He searched the world over. He conducted an experiment, basically, is what he called it. I tried wine, women, I tried works, I tried wealth, I tried it all, and it was all vanity, an empty soap soap bubble world. Nothing satisfied. And without Christ in your life, it will always be incomplete. That yearning, that longing, those desires that you, that you hope to fill someday, it'll never happen until King Jesus sits on the throne of your heart. And that changes everything. I love that old southern song. It talks about I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Not satisfied with me. I'm satisfied with Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus satisfies the longing of our soul. He said, you eat of this bread, you'll never get hungry again. You drink this water, you'll never get thirsty again. Wow. I've eaten of that bread. I've drank that water. 
and I, there's never been a second in my life where I had a longing to be saved because I know that I am. Amen. And when you know that you know that you know for certain that you're a child of God, you know that you're under His care and that whatever happens is going to be for your good and His glory. That makes it okay. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you this morning for your watch care over our lives. And there's so many times that we find ourselves in situations that we're later embarrassed about. But at the moment, we, we just feel like that maybe things are out of control. At the moment, there are times that we feel like that, uh, that maybe you're not even watching over us and caring for us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you're so patient, so long-suffering with us that even when we entertain those foolish notions and we finally come to that point that Jeremiah did that out of, the, out of the depths of his great sorrow that he called upon your name and heard you say, Fear not. That even at that moment when he deserved nothing, you gave him the assurance of your help and you put hope in his heart and Lord today without a doubt there are those here that need help and they need hope and I pray they might find it in Jesus for that that one that's here today that's never received Christ as their Savior they don't know what they're looking for but they know they're yearning for something and they're just miserable dissatisfied with life and I pray that they might find it in Jesus here this morning, for we pray in his dear name. Amen. While we sing. 544. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art a I am the promise of letter from First Baptist Church of Humble. Get that right? All right. And uh, well, we've, we've been enjoying their presence here with us for several weeks now, and I know they've been praying about where God would have them to be, and we're just so thankful that the Lord sent them our way. And so uh, what's the favor of the church concerning this? 
Wake up. All right. Brother Ray, motion the second. All in favor, none left, lift the hand. All opposed, like sign. Uh, the, the record show the vote is unanimous. Everybody's on your side, folks. And so listen, just in just a little bit, we're going to give you the opportunity. They'll be up here, and you can come by and welcome them into the Lakeway family and, uh, and uh, just get to know them. We're so happy. But, you know, there just might be someone here. I was just thinking back to the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I remember the preacher. I was standing out there in the, in the pew, and, and they had sang, uh, I, I don't know, several verses. And I was resisting. I was grabbing on the pew in front of me. And, now, this isn't real uh, theological advice that I would give anyone but he said he said I know some of you out there you know that are lost and God's speaking to your hearts and, and you're, you're fighting the urge to come out though how's he know what's going on for me he said I'll tell you he said if you'll just pick up your foot and take one step you know toward the aisle the Lord will help you come rest of the way thought to myself I you know I picked up one foot and the next thing I know I'm I'm down there and on my face before God I have no idea people say well you got to say this little prayer that little prayer to get saved I have no clue what I said I really don't I absolutely somebody said well when did you get saved somewhere between there and out yonder amen and I got down there and a fellow one of the deacons in the church an old fellow named Ted Mitchell bowed down to uh, next to me and said can I help you and I said I just trusted Christ as my as my savior and uh, you, you know it, it, man messes it all up muddies the water whoever you are, you can be saved right here right now this morning and get all of those doubts and those fears settled forever right now would you do that would you put your trust in Christ and come and tell us about it. Share that with us. We want to help you rejoice while we sing this next verse. Come on. Have thine own way. 